0: our scripture reading this morning comes from Daniel the 8th through the 24th verses now O king establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be revoked therefore King Darius signed the document an injunction when Daniel knew that the document had been signed he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks for God and he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you O king shall be cast into the den of lions the king answered and said the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be revoked then they answered and said before the king Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah paid no attention to you O king or the injunction you have signed but makes his petition three times a day then the king when he heard these words was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that, all, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared, Daniel, may your God whom you can conser- who serve continually deliver you and the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting no diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him then at the break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions as he came near the den where Daniel was he cried out in a tone of anguish the king declared to Daniel "O Daniel Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you. And, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. And no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted God. And the king commanded, and those who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, we have been having fun this summer on stories from the Bible, and uh, a lot of these stories, how many of you haven't heard these stories in a long time, right? They were old uh, Sunday school stories or vacation Bible school stories, but then when you become an adult, uh, you tend to kind of leave these stories behind. And hasn't it been fascinating when then, as an adult, you read some of these stories, like the end there about the wives and the children also getting thrown in the lion's den, you're like, that wasn't on the flannel graph, you know what I mean? That, wasn't, that didn't make the, the, uh, the, uh, the animation we watched in Sunday school or the, the, the play we did of this story, right? So we have been uh, kind of reading these stories again as adults in all their PG-13-ness, right? And seeing that they're a little bit different than maybe what we remember, and so now, after reading about Benaiah killed it, killing a lion last week and hearing about uh, David doing the same thing the year before, we're now with Daniel in the lion's den. Now, a little bit of background. Daniel is not a prophet, even though in our Bibles he's put in the prophets. In the Jewish Bible, he's put in a different section called the writings, or the Kethuvim. And so they had an understanding that Daniel wasn't really a prophet. Now, he does interpret dreams. Uh, but he, he, And he does have some prophetic things to say, but, but these are more uh, stories from the time of exile. And uh, we know they're kind of this com- combination of stories because some of them we have in Hebrew and some of them we have in Aramaic. So apparently somebody took a number of stories and sort of put them together. Now, if you're going to understand the story, you've got to understand the exile. The exile comes after, at the, at the end of the times of the kings. This part of the world was dominated by different major, major forces. Okay, In the West, uh, you had, uh, from your perspective, in the West, you had Egypt, which was a major superpower for a long time. You had the Greeks, and then eventually you have the Romans take over the Greeks. But but to the East, and in what we know as today is the Middle East, um, you have some other groups, the Assyrians, the Babylonians and the Persians, and they come sort of in rapid succession after each other. Now, what these, what these people would do is, is when they would take over a land, and they would, they would hold huge pieces of the world, huge sections of the world. How do you manage a giant section of the world in a time where there's no phones, and there's no email, and there's not good road systems, and how do you manage these people? Well, they would have to have local governors that kind of ruled themselves, and then a lot of times, if they really wanted, if there was a tight-knit people that became a problem, what they would do is they would exile them. Okay, They would would kick them out of their lands. You'd spread them out. And what you would find is within a couple generations, if you weren't all together... You didn't have your own religious practices. You didn't have anybody else to speak your language. You know what? Eventually, your, your people would be gone. Okay? Your ethnicity would be gone. Your language would be gone. And you'd basically be Babylonian. And so they would do this. They would exile. And, and we know that it almost works because in Ezra and Nehemiah the, in the Bible, they have to do a lot of work to help get these people back together. And when the people come back, a lot of them have Babylonian names. So it, it almost works. We also know that it works because in a part of Israel called Samaria, the Babylonians did exactly this with another people. They sent people into Israel. They married with each other, and they were sort of lost, but also the Jewish people in Samaria somewhat lost their Jewishness. So that's why at the time of Jesus, the Samaritans aren't looked at well because they're part Babylonian. So this happens over a period of time. Uh, the Assyrians are the, the first big nation there, and they deport most of the northern kingdom of Israel. So north of uh, uh, Jerusalem, and, and that part of the country was then, they, they were two nations, and the northern part was just called Israel, so it gets a little confusing in your Bible, and the bottom was called Judea. And in 722 BC, the Assyrians take most of the northern kingdom and uh, disperse them, deport them. The Assyrians in 701 B.C. desiege a city called Lachish in uh, the northern part. And that's one of the last strongholds of the northern part of Israel. And it's then that the Judeans sort of make peace with them to, to make sure that they don't get deported. They basically fall under the rule and the authority of the Assyrians. And that lasts about 100 years. And in 597, the Babylonians are now the new power. And they come in and really take over uh, Israel and they deport much of Jerusalem, including the king and his family. And that's what they would do. They wouldn't deport everybody, just the important people. Okay, anybody who's an artist, anybody who's a leader, anybody who's in the royal line, you move them around because those are the people that are going to define the culture. And once they're gone, there's nobody else there. Ten years later, in 587, they come and siege Jerusalem and destroy the first temple, and in 582, they do it again, even more people are dispersed. Eventually, the Babylonians are overcome by the Persians, and in 539, they get to return, and that's where you get Ezra, that's where you get Nehemiah, okay? But, but this is, uh, the book of Daniel is stories that happen during this deportation, this exile. Daniel is just a youth when he is taken into exile, and he's part of a group of young men that King Nebuchadnezzar takes to be educated. And he, and he brings all these people into his house. And he feeds them, except it's, the text says that Daniel won't eat of the king's food. He continues to eat uh, Jewish kosher eating. Now, among these are four Jews, Daniel, Han- Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, you may not know those names by their Jewish names, but you have probably heard their Babylonian names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So uh, there are four youth that are among these people. And Daniel becomes known as an interpreter of dreams. We might remember Joseph, who gets exiled to Egypt and is an interpreter of dreams. Daniel really follows suit. And so when you would go to these other places, you were, the goal was to survive, and the whole system was set up so that you would lose your identity. You would lose your, uh, your people. You would lose your language. You would lose your religion. And it was very, very cutthroat. And so uh, we know this from the book of Esther. Esther happens in this time. And there's somebody who comes and tries to wipe out all the Jews. And Esther is then in a position to come and save them. We know from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that people decide they they make this ruling saying that there's this big golden this big golden thing and they all have to bow down. Anybody who doesn't bow down is going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. It's a trap, trap to get anybody who wouldn't bow to this golden image to get thrown in the furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do. And you, if you remember your Sunday school story, there they look in the furnace then, and there are four people in there, and they are unharmed in the fiery furnace. So. Uh, you can see how it was very cutthroat, trying to get everybody to get rid of people you didn't like, you tried to get power, because you were trying to survive. You were trying to survive. Daniel was like that. So Daniel comes, and now there's a new king named Darius. Darius, it says, is 62 when he becomes king. Now, 62, is you, a lot of you are very young, 62. okay? But in those days, you didn't achieve 62 very often. Okay, 62 is, at this time, a very old age because not many people ever saw it. So to become king at 62, you will not have that long. Okay, the expectation is you don't have that long, especially if it's so cutthroat, right? So he brings together people and he sets 120 satraps or regional leaders. And over these, he puts three presidents or rulers kind of over different groups, one of whom is Daniel. And the text says that Daniel has an excellent spirit. There was an excellent spirit with him. We can imagine the the way it's described that maybe he's just a really good guy. He's got a really good attitude and he works hard and he does what he's supposed to do. And it makes all the other rulers jealous. So the other presidents and satraps don't like Daniel and they decide they want to get him in trouble. So they all start researching, how do we get Daniel out of there? Okay? Okay. Um, so how, do we, how do we find something that we can get him in trouble? And then the problem is, even with 120 of them and then two presidents, they, they can't find anything really wrong with Daniel. He's a good guy. Okay? When you have that many people looking at your history, they can normally dig up some dirt, but Daniel is such a good guy, they can't find anything. So they decide there's only one way they're going to be able to get him. And that's because he follows the laws of his God. They all know that his diet is different. He probably wears a little thing on his head. He probably has tassels hanging from his cloth and and he won't eat all the the steak that everybody else is eating, right? Or the bacon or whatever. So they know something's different about him. And if we're going to trap him, that's the only way we got. That's the only thing we have to be able to do anything with. They also know that Daniel prays three times a day. Now, this seems uh, normal to us, right? Because we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and we pray breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We eat three times. We, we pray three times a day, or we were taught that when we were kids. But throughout much of, the, the, of our history, of human history, people did not eat three times a day. Like, this is a relatively new thing. You ate when you could eat, and it was normally one big meal a day. You had one meal a day. But Jews would often pray three times a day, same way that Muslims do today. And we've seen that. You've probably seen that on the news or seen that in stories or movies or whatever. You know, three times a day they stop to pray. And Jews would do that too. Now, we're not exactly sure when this happens. Um, In Daniel's time, it appears that not everybody is doing that. But we know that it happens some. And we know from the Psalms, Psalm 55, 17 says, Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, And he hears my voice. There's a story in Acts 10 where Peter goes up to his roof at noon to pray. So we know that that throughout Jewish history, there's a lot of Jews that practice this, praying three times a day. But of course, that consistency is a problem because they can figure that out. They do their research. And so what these, these men do is they go to Darius and they say, we think that for 30 days the king should make a rule. That only the only prayer you're allowed to do is to the king, the king Darius. Now that, this sounds weird to us, because we don't look at our um, we don't look at our authorities as divine, or maybe sometimes divinely appointed, but by a divine appointment. But if you liked one president, you may not like another, right? So, uh, but but in those days, kings were by divine right, and in fact. Most of them were seen as divine, as actually the sons of God. So in Jesus' day, one of the things you were supposed to say is Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And so um, when the early Christians say Jesus is Lord, they're, they're making a divine claim against Caesar, who we were supposed to look at as Lord. So it's not that unusual for people to pray to their leaders. So they, they trap Daniel. They say, okay, King, we think... Only people should pray to you for 30 days. And anybody who doesn't should be thrown in a lion's den. Now, this is probably not a wild lion's den. This is part of our conception here. You know, when we read it, first of all, there's a stone nearby that seems to fit the cave perfectly to block it. Which seems to tell me it's a door that's supposed to be there. And we do know from the Assyrians and the Babylonians that very often they would keep lions Either for hunts, they would let them loose and then go hunt the lions. A lot like in England, they would do fox hunts, that kind of thing. And we also know that the Assyrians would actually kill people with lions. They would put them in cages with hungry lions if you were a blasphemer or you spoke out against the royal authority. So probably they're keeping lions for something like this. And uh, so they know where it is. And why would the king, if the king has a lion's den next door one that he can run to in the morning to check on. He wouldn't leave lions there. He would remove them from being so close to his palace. No, these are probably captured lions. They're still wild. But they're used for either hunting or for killing your enemies. So Darius makes this ruling. Uh, it seems good to him. All his men are, seem to be on board with it. And there's, a, there's some kind of policy, and we're not quite sure what it is, that says once the king makes a rule, you can't change it. Once the king makes a rule, you can't change it. And so once he says it, it's done deal. Now, Daniel, however, who has served God so faithfully, is not going to follow that rule. And so he goes up onto his roof to pray at noontime, just like he always does. But what's the problem? He always does it. So those people who are trying to trap him know he always does it. And they see him do it. So they go to the king, and uh, Chip read it, but it's kind of funny how it plays out. They, they go to the, the king, and it's almost like they're like, hey, didn't you make a rule that says no one's allowed to pray to anybody but you? And that if they did, they would go in the lion's den. And he says, yeah, you know, I can't, I can't, and I can't change it, because that's how this is. And uh, uh, they said, well, but Daniel prayed today, right? And so they trapped him. They trapped him, they got him. And so um, so now, Dan, now the king is upset. Darius is upset, and he's not sure quite what to do about it. And uh, the text says he, he's upset all day. The rest of the day, he tries to figure out what's going on. He tries to figure out how to get out of this, how to spare Daniel, but he can't quite figure out how to do it. So in the end, he has no choice but to send Daniel in the lion's den. And he says to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And he pulls the rock over and he puts his seal. That probably would have been like a ring that he would press into wax over the door. And the other uh, rulers do the exact same thing. Then he goes home after literally and physically sealing the fate of Daniel. And he doesn't eat, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't want any entertainment. He is so upset that Daniel has been killed. He wakes up early in the morning, or maybe he just kind of groggily gets out of bed, ran to the den of lions, and he cries out in English, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And I love this. I love this. Why would Darius, think about this, why would Darius go running to the den of lions? Why would he get up and even ask that question? Did you ever think about that? When you put somebody in the lion's den, what you expect to see in the morning is no more them. Okay? No more of that person. And yet, somehow, this king, Darius, goes running in the morning just to check. Like, what put it in his head that Daniel would even possibly be spared. It's a weird action. Unless King Darius has actually started to believe in this God. Right? Unless he's actually started to see in the life of Darius a true and living God. That would explain why he says, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Why he says when he gets there, oh Daniel, servant of the living God. See, Darius this foreign king is starting to believe in God, the one true God. And why is he starting to believe in that? Because of the living example of Daniel. And to his amazement, he gets an answer, right? Daniel says, oh, king, live forever. I love that. See, Daniel has no problem with the king. He actually is under the authority of the king. He never did anything. but He's just not going to stop praying to God. He's not going to treat the king as a god, but he he is willing to show favor to this king. Even Darius who threw him in a lion's dead. And he knows Darius was trapped. He knows who the real enemy is. But he says God has sent an angel to close the lion's mouth that he is safe. That he hasn't meant any harm to Darius, and he is fine. So Darius gets him out of the lion's den and goes and gets all those guys and their families. And it's a different world, and I know that we're not used to this. But but in those days, the sins of the father went to the son and the son and the son. And uh, so in those days, that's how they dealt with it. And so Darius wipes out all these other rulers and ends up putting Daniel in charge of everything. And let me read the end of the story. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the, on the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. So here's Darius. Sends out a message. Hey, you know what God you all should be listening to? God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be, uh, and his dominion shall be to the end. Okay, for a king of Babylon to say this is amazing. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of, reign of Cyrus the Persian. So the text real quick there says, Daniel not only does well, but then he does well for the next king too. Daniel has a number of visions about God and about the future of the people. He says this is not the end. He he has this vision of a future where God will bring back the people from exile, where all things will be made right. Fast forward to the first century, the time of Jesus and Paul, Um, they're still kind of in exile. They're still under Roman authority. They still don't have their freedom. And so when Paul reads the Bible in the Old Testament and when Jesus reads the Old Testament, these kind of stories capture their imagination because they still feel like they're distant from God. They still wonder, God, if you're the one true God, why am I in this predicament to begin with? And stories like this have inspired Christians who have felt in exile for a long time. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever felt like God is so distant from you. I don't know if you've ever gone through something where you feel like you're not where you're supposed to be and everybody is out to get you. Daniel understands. And the point of the story is to be faithful even in those times because even though you feel like God is distant that doesn't mean that God is distant. Even though you think God is not with you, that doesn't mean that God is not with you. That just means that's how you feel. And God doesn't always care how you feel. And how you feel isn't always to be trusted, right? God is with you. And God is closing the mouths of lions around you. And I think we in this world today feel like we're in a foreign world, feel like our church is in in foreign territory. We feel like we are in exile. Christianity is not in charge anymore. We are not the dominant voice in this culture, and we are at the mercy of others, and I think it's only going to get worse. And we feel that in our own lives when we get a bad diagnosis or a voice in our head that seems to have already sealed our fate. How many of you have felt lions breathing down on your neck? But the message of Daniel is that God does not leave you and does not lose sight of you, that your feeling about where God is has nothing to do with where God really is, and that even in exile, you should continue to serve him, that hope is still coming, that the story doesn't end in exile. And I love this symbol of the stone, right, in Daniel and the lion's den, this sealing of the fate. Because there was another stone that was rolled over a supposed tomb one time, right, where Jesus had died and he was buried. But that stone couldn't keep him in. And he broke free of that stone. And I believe he breaks free of that stone not just so that he is free, but so that you and I are free. And I don't know what doctor has tried to seal your fate, and I don't know what voice from the past has tried to tell you who you're supposed to be, but I will tell you that Jesus is in the seal-breaking business, that he is in the healing business. So serve him, trust him, risk for him because other people are watching you. (laughs) Because other people are watching you. And some people, like Darius, might see something in you and how you deal with things. And they might say, man, who is that living God that's making such a difference in their life? And someone might believe because of how you deal with the struggle. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.